This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, we've got a new year. You have a new year, Nick. Happy New Year, George. <laughs> uh, this is news for uh, our official kickoff here for the week of January 3rd. And we're going to be talking about nonprofit struggles with wages and info on mergers and other events going on and fundraising. Nick, why don't you kick us off with our at-a-glance larger summary. So our first story that we wanted to highlight today comes from the New York Times, and this is a story about how nonprofit organizations are struggling to keep up with their for-profit counterparts when it comes to hiring. So the article goes into detail of some personal stories and broader trends, but the takeaway is that amid rising inflation, rising wages, decreased unemployment, and of course, that so-called great resignation that nonprofits across the country are really struggling to both hire, maintain, um, and and just kind of uh, keep staff um, as we see these pretty seismic shifts within the economy. And the article cites a statistic that while for-profit businesses lost more jobs during the pandemic, they've been able to hire back those jobs much more quickly. Um, while the nonprofit industry has sector has struggled to rehire, um, nonprofit employment down 4.8%. Um, this is from November compared to for-profit companies that see just a 1.5% gap in uh, in hiring. So this is something that I think a lot of our clients are are facing, George. A lot of, I think every nonprofit is feeling the pinch, right? Because we have limited financial resources. The money's not going up necessarily, and but the cost of labor is. So this is something that I imagine almost every organization across the country is facing these days. Yeah, there's a quote here. We used to compete with hospitals and other healthcare entities. Now we're competing with convenience stores, fast food places, and coffee shops. A uh, quote from Miranda, one of the, the CEOs uh, mentioned in this article. You know, it's uh, part of that that larger trend and the downstream impacts for uh, the nonprofit industry. But, you know, truly the, the nonprofit nonprofit industry has lagged uh, for, for quite some time. But I think, you know, it's the question of the gap and the sudden shift, right? It's, it's easier for a for-profit company, a coffee shop, let's say, to raise their prices tomorrow. Sorry, everyone, it's going to cost you an extra 25 cents. That immediate lever is not available to a nonprofit that has diversified revenue stream, but in large part, maybe from government, maybe from individual donors and from foundations. And if that, you know, if that increases, it will eventually, yes, uh, allow the nonprofits to catch up, but that financial mechanism is not as sensitive. And so there's, there's going to be a lag and there's going to be some pain for, for certain types of nonprofits that rely on that type of IRL in-person work, as we've mentioned before. And there's going to be a lot of, you know, there's a lot of second order effects from this that, you know, we'll, we'll begin to see and, and track in the news, I think. I agree. Uh, something we will continue to follow. Moving along, however, we'll go into our news summary. And our first story here is that Franklin A. Thomas, the former president of the Ford Foundation, 
died at 87. Um, I believe he passed away on the Wednesday before Christmas. Mr. Thomas was one of the first Black leaders of a major philanthropic organization in the United States, uh, which was groundbreaking at the time. He took over the Ford Foundation in 1979 amid kind of a stagnation, um, a crisis at the or- at the organization per se, um, decreasing endowment, uh, lackadaisical approach to measuring success. And he really turned it around, it seems. And he has an incredible kind of upbringing story, uh, was grew up largely in poverty, um, worked super hard, got a scholarship to Columbia and just progressed his way up, already had tremendous nonprofit leadership experience before taking this role. Um, and the article cites, uh, apparently famously shook things up at the organization with a series of layoffs that uh, appeared to cut out a lot of uh, old, (laughs) very white uh, people who should probably have uh, retired a little sooner. That was largely criticized, Um, but it turns out that it was that trimming of the organization and uh, cronyism, as the article kind of alludes to, that really helped put the Ford Foundation on the right track. Um, So, uh, a tremendous profile here in the Times, really interesting to read um, and go into this history of uh, philanthropy a little bit, but just uh, uh, a sad day, but uh, sounds like a tremendous life. I encourage you, if you don't know uh, about his story, it's pretty incredible. And even just by the numbers handed, a, which sounds like a lot, $1.7 billion uh, foundation and endowment, I should say, in 1979. However, that had dropped uh, by three, that had been dropped, that was $4 billion, by the way, in 1973, so just six years prior. So it was just heading in a very bad direction. And he focuses the organization's mission, he reduces the staff, reduces the amount of international offices, focuses on uh, domestic endeavors. And as of, you know, his leaving, I believe, is a Got the foundation back up to seven billion. Um, had risen to seven billion in 1996. So you know, not that our only measures are money in this case, but if you're talking about uh, a venerable institution that exists today because of someone's work, I'd say you can easily point to Franklin as that uh, as that that reason. So uh, hopefully, there's there's more case studies written and uh, written about for for his work. It's pretty impressive. It's it's really impressive. I myself I'm I want to read more about him and his life because it seems like he was groundbreaking in many ways and and quite inspirational. So, it's a pleasure to honor his life in this small way on the podcast. Moving along though, we have a story from knoxnews.com uh that is of course out of Knoxville and it talks about how the merger of the local United Way and other organizations will impact Knoxville nonprofits in 2022 and is the article reports United Way of Greater Knoxville Alliance for Better Nonprofits and Volunteer East Tennessee um, hope that now that those three organizations have merged, they will be stronger in 2022. Um, And it seems like there are still some logistical hurdles, but that the idea that these nonprofits can consolidate seems to be uh, a play at increasing uh, capacity. George, I'm curious as to what you think about uh, nonprofits consolidating in this way. Do we think this is a positive? Uh, is Is this the way forward? Uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts. 
I am always excited, excited, excited when I see nonprofits doing more than just saying they're collaborating, but actually going through and deciding whether or not, I won't use the word redundant, but overlapping opportunity for merging. Think about how often this happens in the for-profit sector where there are companies being bought and talked about constantly. I think it's very healthy for the nonprofit sector to objectively look at the landscape. And there's a quote here from the the president for the Alliance of Better Nonprofits, who says, at the end of the day, more philanthropic dollars gets to go to the people we're serving and less to the administrative overhead. And and I I also keep a lot, uh, an eye on the United Way, which is in a a large transition from uh, previous funding structures and cycles and relationships with companies and the way giving used to be done to the way it is evolving to. And I think there is uh, a lot more upside to connecting local grassroots, volunteering, organizing, community-based organizations, and potentially some of those regional United Ways to strengthen uh, community resource rather than segmenting it out. And yeah, there's a lot of potential administrative overlap uh, that they have recognized. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times, I won't use the word unfortunately, but as it happens, mergers in the nonprofit sector are more likely to occur out of distress. (laughs) So one of the two is in distress. Uh, and, and maybe somewhat could be said for the for-profit industry, but not usually it's like, oh, no, no, one plus one equals 11 in this case. And I still think it's true for, for nonprofits, but it's less likely that mergers are explored when times are good. But I think mergers are going to be more effective for the nonprofit industry. And it's better than just sort of sunsetting and, and effectively, you know, cliffing your support for stakeholders. We're like, no, 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 like, I, we needed your work. And, and so it's a way to maintain that promise to stakeholders while reducing overhead and, you know, maybe the, the, the bright side of, of some of this restructuring. Yeah, George, that's a great take. I really appreciate your perspective on that. Moving ahead into a different story in a different part of the world, this is one we don't have to spend a ton of time on, but I think interesting to see uh, nonprofits and environment for monitor the environment for civil society across the globe in a very high profile court case. A Russian court has ordered a prominent Russian human rights group to completely shut down Um, this organization. This NGO is called Memorial International, and they did lots of um, historical narrative building and memorialization of the history of of Russia, which in the 20th century was extremely brutal. Um, And this is... uh, comes on the heels as the Kremlin and Putin attempt to consolidate control and and build narratives around certain political strategies. And we don't need to get into the politics, but um, this is something that I think it's important for American nonprofits to follow. We're very fortunate that we live in a free society where largely we can do whatever we want. That is not the case in a lot of places in the world. And that is becoming even harder in lots of places in the world where democracies are slipping backwards. Um, George, I want to follow up on this story because I think that there can be a lot of lessons 
from NGOs and civil society groups operating in much more closed societies um, and strategies with lots more limited resources. And unfortunately, this organization, Memorial International, has all bet been disbanded. Um, but there's lots of really interesting groups um, and movements coming out of a lot of closed societies that I think could be really interesting, particularly for American-based advocacy organizations. So this is a a note for me to follow up on this, um, but an interesting trend nonetheless. I'm glad you found it and brought it to our attention. I I gave it a, a, a second look and I completely agree with the sentiment that, you know, we can be angry with many things in America, but I'd say the ability for this type of free speech, this type of self-reflection and critical self-reflection can exist. You know, I, my mind immediately went to the ideas of critical race theory and how we are right now in our own battle around how we choose to remind or repress uh, the truth about our country's relationship with slavery around various injustices for Native American rights. And like, you know, the list can continue. However, if we were in Russia, the Supreme Court would just say, yeah, no, uh, we're just going to disband all of that. The nonprofit doesn't exist. That is going to get erased. Now, the danger, many dangers, by the way, (laughs) of that type of suppression, the danger of erasing where you have been is that you're probably going to go there again. It's called driving off without a map or directions. And so I think the nonprofit's role of helping us understand our history and how we remind ourselves about what it actually means uh, certainly plays a role and it's dangerous. <laughs> Vladimir Putin is, is not a dumb uh, leader. Um, he is many things, but he's not a dumb leader. And he knows that it's dangerous to really review your history with a critical eye more or less by a third party. And it's that third sector, the nonprofit sector that offers that for the U.S. and, you know, continues to operate successfully under our governance. Yeah, George, I I couldn't agree more. It's such a great way to kind of contextualize that. Um, Yeah, I want to revisit this. And I'm sure we'll be having more discussions along these lines as we head into Q3 and Q4 of this year, but uh, something we'll we'll keep an eye on for sure. Our next story is from the Nonprofit Times, nonprofittimes.com, and it says that uh, third quarter fundraising in 2021 saw an increased revenue, an increased number of donations from fewer gifts. So it seems that the number of donors are down approximately 1.7% year over year but the number but the value of those gifts has increased 1.5% year over year so this would seem to suggest a consolidation of giving less people giving more money um this looks like it's you know we're kind of looking at one year year over year 2020 was a crazy year um i'm curious as to your thoughts on this george I picked up on this, you know, it's, it's one, it's fun to report and keep track of what's going on on a macro level uh, from the fundraising effectiveness project, FEP. I really like their data. I really like how they track things. And I'm just sort of looking for smoke before fire 
on macro trends around giving. And one thing I'm wondering is if the rise of inflation is not going to depress individual donors, small donors. A lot of the general block and tackle that I think fundraising communications and departments look to do of like build that donor base. Like it may be that inflation has a downward depressing effect on individual donors, small donors, mid-sized donors. However, on the other side of that coin is that inflation has that other effect of consolidating wealth sometimes in various sectors. So maybe it's time to look at doubling down on large net worth individuals, uh, people that have had you know tremendous tax uh, tax seasons or windfalls. Uh, so there's a shift, right? These these macro effects have downstream impacts on nonprofit sector, and I'm you know I'm watching this one carefully, and then saying like, all right, what is our what is the adjusted strategy given that? Obviously, you don't stop trying to to raise money from small donors, but maybe you begin to consider that, you know, this inflationary effects are no longer uh, temporary, uh, but rather uh, a bit more pervasive than that. Um, And so that may impact some of our fundraising efforts this year. That's totally fair. And stock markets at an all-time high, maybe this is... uh the year that your organization looks into various forms of giving, whether that's stock options and crypto giving he said it. and all he the said fun it. stuff. He said it. I, I was going to say it. You said it, not me. <laughs> let, let the record show that Nick said crypto before I did. George, you're, you're converting me. <laughs> How about a feel-good story to finish us off? Please. All right. So this comes from KGW8. Portland. (laughs) Didn't know that one off the top of my head. KGWA Portland, NBC affiliate. Um, And it talks about an Oregon nonprofit uh, that helps homeless families has gotten a grant from Jeff Bezos's Day One Families Fund. Um, So just a a fun story here. It seems like there's a lot of uh, a lot of hype, a lot of attention um, around high net worth giving, especially when your your net worth is in the, the tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, but we don't often hear from the actual organizations themselves that this money gets to. Um, so just throwing in this story there to see that, yeah, a local homeless organization is in fact getting the money. Yeah. And that's something interesting here where it's the Bezos Day One found Fund, Bezos Day One Fund org started in 2018 and has since given out over 398 million to organizations in 38 states and so they're you know giving out these fund awards and might be <laughs> might be worth it to check it out on the topic of fundraising all right nick happy new year to you great to be back more news to come happy new year this has been using the whole whale podcast If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 